Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back, mummers. Why are we so addicted to being busy? This is a question I've obviously asked myself so many times over the last decade, particularly when I ended up in early labour and in hospital at 28 weeks pregnant, sitting on that hospital bed, trying to keep my very small baby boy inside, knowing that this was all because I couldn't slow down. So why is this? When we say we want to slow down and be present with our children and these very special, precious moments, why do we struggle so much? Quite simply, it's because we're programmed to value busyness. We've been programmed to believe that if we're busy enough, we'll be successful. And if we're successful, we'll be loved a pretty stark reality when you put it like that, isn't it? But it is actually what most of us carry unconsciously within us. Today's podcast interview is with a teacher, a guide, a mama by the name of Meg Berryman. Meg specializes in supporting mamas to break up with busyness. She herself went from working overseas and living her dream to her body completely shutting down and she had to really look at how she was living and what she was doing. Since then, she's become a mama and has completely changed the way she lives and now shares it with the world. I know this is another beautiful insight into what we're trying to do here on this podcast. And I'm sure you're going to love Meg's amazing insights. Enjoy. This is the Happy Mama Movement, a weekly podcast dedicated to changing the conversation about what it means to be a mother and a woman in this day and age. I'm Amy Taylor-Cabaz, author, mama, and former journalist. After spending 15 years chasing news and burning myself out trying to be superwoman, I realized that I was chasing a dream that no longer served me, and since then have dedicated myself to understanding the transition that we go through as women when our whole identity shifts with motherhood. Every week, I will bring you the very best insights and inspiration I can find to help us all change the way we feel about this time in our lives and create a movement that allows us 
to honour motherhood differently. Hi Meg, thanks so much for joining me. I've been so looking forward to speaking to you. Hey Amy, the pleasure is absolutely all mine. I've been following your podcast for a while and I'm so just excited to sit down and have a cuppa with you, to be honest. I know, and we've got cuppa weather today for both of us. It's really lovely and cool for a change. So it does feel like we're gathering together for a cuppa and a chat. I love that. Thank you. So I was just saying to you before we started, when I started looking at what you do, I thought, oh, there is so much we can talk about here. But what I really want to have that juicy conversation with a cup of tea about today is busyness. As everyone knows, it's one of the things I love to talk about, how we break up with busyness, our addiction to it, and how we can find happiness outside of that attachment to being busy and successful. And this is something you're super passionate about as well. So let's go back and how did you come to this realisation around busyness? Where were you before you realised this? Yeah, it's a great question. So for kind of the best part of 10 years um, following on from university studies and postgraduate studies, I was in the international aid sector. And so I had a really strong commitment to social justice and um, a strong motivation to kind of do good in the world, as I think most of us um, as women and humans do innately. Um, And so I found myself following this path of career progression very, very quickly. And it was in part driven by my um, efficiency. I'm just, I'm one of those women that's very efficient, but it also in part driven by this, you know, this burning desire to like change the world as, as you do in your twenties, I think. And so I I progressed through my career quite quickly and you know, I've worked from grassroots organisations um, in, the, in the Asia Pacific region right up to kind of with the UN agencies and um, government. And so I, I've seen the breadth of what that structure is. And there was something that started to like gnaw inside me as I was navigating this and kept being promoted and kept changing jobs and and going up and up and doing more study. And there was this gnawing sensation of like, externally my life looks exactly how I thought it would 10 years ago but internally something's not right and I think you can definitely relate to that Amy of this like and then of course it took a subsequent few years until I um, understood what that was but basically I found myself living and working in Burma in Myanmar I was with a large international NGO um, in, a, in a high profile position um, working on an emergency that at the time was was in the news a lot and I thought that's where I really wanted to be and my body just had different ideas and I remember I was pushing myself on all levels because that's what I'd always been able to do. I was socialising and, and drinking a lot, you know, to deal with the stress. I was working a lot. I was running half marathons in like 35 degree humidity and I was, um, you know, in a loving relationship but I probably wasn't present as much there as I could have been. But I was trying to do it all and be it all mm-hmm. and my body just fell apart. So, you know, 10 years of 
antibiotic treatment from all the various um, illnesses that I'd had overseas kind of culminated in in um, like a, a digestive thing, which led to a reproductive thing, which led to, which led to adrenal fatigue, which led to rheumatoid arthritis, oh, and um, I found myself, Amy, just not even being able to get out of bed and shower. And for someone that had always received such love and validation for my ability to be productive, it was the most confronting thing in the universe. And so from that point, it was really a long way down and then slowly, slowly starting to come back from that and to realign my life quite drastically um, in light of that. Wow. When was that moment? How long ago? How many years ago was it when you found yourself in bed with rheumatoid arthritis? Um, so that was about four, nearly four and a half years ago now. Wow. Mm. Now I know you've got a nearly three-year-old, so motherhood didn't come too far after that. But let's first just start from that point when you're in your bed. Mm. You know, Meg, maybe I'm not as healed of this superwoman addiction as I thought I am because when you were talking about your career, there was a part of me that was thinking, oh, my God, I wanted that career. That sounds awesome because we do in our 20s think if we can go to other countries and we can work for aid organisations and we can run marathons and we can do all these awesome things, then surely we'll be happy. And even now at this age, after all I've been through, there was still a little part of me that heard you say that. And I thought, oh, but that sounds cool. Yeah. <laughs> those, parts of us, those parts of us never die, right? Like they're, they're so programmed into mm. us, you know. Mm-hmm. They are, this is the thing that I love working with women on is like, really going beyond just wellness to to talking about wholeness and to get there we need to understand how programmed this is from such a young age you know and it's programmed externally and then it's reinforced internally and so you know I probably have the same reaction when I hear about your career and and (laughs) I find myself Amy still even like last even as as um, early as last year, just being like, maybe I could just, I need another university degree. You know, like you just, you still fall back into those patterns. And I think we're going to go more into why that is um, mm. part of the conversation. Well, let's, let's go in there now. Let's dive into that now. What did you learn in that bed with that moment in time when you realized that your body was telling you, no, this isn't going to work? What were those first cracks of realization around? Mm, such a good question. So the biggest realization that came as I started to, um, that, you know, work superficially with my diet, right. That, that's where, that is where I could start and understand and understand and it felt safe to start there. But very quickly I realized that, you know, you can have all the best diet in the world and, and unless there's something addressing the stress, um, you know, autoimmune disease, it's an, it's, it's a disease of the gut, but our gut's completely affected by our stress hormones. So, um, I knew that I had to look at my stress levels and why there was some people working in my environment that were thriving, not a lot, but there are a few and what the difference was between me and them. And the thing that came to me, and it's still a quote that I use today is, you know, it's not what you do that's important. 
it's how you do it. And I learned very early in that healing piece of like, I, I need to change how I'm doing this, right? Because I could change jobs, I could change careers. And even you would resonate with this when you start a business and then you take the old thinking into the business and you still don't feel liberated or free because the way that we're doing it is the same. That's right. Our identity is still the same. It's that beautiful saying of no matter where you go, there you are. <laughs> totally. You yeah. can't, can't run away from yourself in the fantasy of um, a new job or a new relationship or, uh, or, or weight loss, you know, is what we're kind of sold. Mm, that's right. So why were you so addicted to busyness? Looking back now, what do you see that was all about? So... I think fundamentally when we look at any behaviour that troubles us, the way that we're taught to deal with that is very much um, like through willpower and through shaming the behaviour. And something that I've learned over the years of tackling this from so many different angles, from the physical, the mindset, the energetic, is that having compassion for that there is such a good reason why we do these behaviours. You know, in my case, I had been validated from a very young age to be busy, right? Like so being successful in my career gave me love and I felt like the interconnectedness of love and productivity was so enmeshed that I couldn't break out of the pattern just with willpower alone. And it's the same with, this is why I work across so many areas. It's, you know, love, you look at what's on your plate, you look at who you're dating, you look at your relationship with wellness, you look at um, how you hold space for others. You can look at any of these things and you see the same patterns and behaviours coming up within them. And it's usually that somewhere along the way, we got confused and we thought that love equaled food or love equaled um, abuse or love equaled productivity. And I think in my case, just acknowledging how much that busyness had served me was one of the first steps in, in being able to move to a more compassionate place to work from. That's right, because we have this correlation in our mind that if we get to a certain point, then we'll finally be loved and accepted. And what I've discovered after working with mamas for so many years is that we just keep moving that point further and further ahead of us. We get there and think, no, it's still not loved, still not accepted, still not happy. Well, that means I must have to do this next and then this next and then this next until it is usually our bodies that tell us we can't live this way anymore. It's usually the physical that ends up screaming at us to try and change this, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other point to note on the physical stuff is that and at one of the big, and I talk about this in my audio series, one of the biggest um, patterns that we see, and myself included, is the what I call the empty space syndrome. And it's really where we find such discomfort and and heightened emotions to be so uncomfortable as a culture we haven't really taught ourselves to hold space for emotion right and so 
you know those patterns of when you're looking after kids and they're like, mum, mum, come and play, come and play, and you can't meet them there because what feels safer is to be busy with chores, right? Like what feels safer is to be um, being the one that's not participating but kind of circling around doing stuff. And that's because when we meet them there in their chaos, what might come up is a feeling or I think a lot of new mums get this when you're just here with that baby and you don't have all the distractions and all these uncomfortable feelings, all the stuff you haven't talked about for years, all the questions left unanswered, all the stuff from your childhood starts to come up and we're like we're petrified of it. So it makes a lot of sense to me that um, emotionally, like emotional repression kind of plays out in this as well in that we keep busy because we're fearful of what emotions come up. And when that happens over a long period of time, then that's when we start to create dis-ease in the body and that will be the wake-up call that we need to turn around and face some of those emotions head on. So what happens if you can recognise this in yourself? You can see that you're addicted to busyness, that you can see that it might be a couple of things that you've said there, Meg. One is that you've always associated being the good girl with the good grades or climbing the ladder or making someone proud as love or you're keeping yourself busy because there's something there that you don't want to face and maybe it's a mixture of all of them together. Where do we start with this? Mm, well, I think we start with a really healthy dose of, um, like I said, self-compassion and understanding. You know, Russell Brand talks about it in his book Recovery um, when he walked into a 12-step um, Narcotics Anonymous meeting and one of the counsellors said, congratulations, you found drugs, you kept yourself alive. Like for a lot of us, busyness is that drug and it is keeping us alive on some level and it is keeping us safe. One of the other patterns I see a lot is like it feels unsafe to expand into the fullest expression of who we are. So being busy with like the unimportant stuff and like the to-do list and the chores feels like really safe because expanding for women throughout history has not been safe. And so we start with this really healthy dose of like there's no shame here even though I'm in pain and, you know, something's coming up for healing, I understand completely why I've landed here. So and can it, I just, let me just jump yeah. in here for a moment though. Sure. I totally agree with everything you say. I'm just, I've spoken to so many hundreds of mamas over the years. I can hear their voices in my head, I swear. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I know that there, some of them right now are saying, yeah, that's great. And I understand mm. that. But my reality right now is I have to be this busy just to keep this life moving. I've got three kids under four, part-time job, husband doing FIFO and whatever else is going on. Busyness is not a choice for me. Busyness is my reality. Yeah. What do we do about that? Like I agree with you about um, the compassion and the space and I I. Um, I suggest the same things, but there's that voice that comes back when you're stuck in the middle of it right now that says, I, I don't know how else I could survive because everybody's relying on me right now. What do yes. we say? What do we say to that, Meg? Yeah, it's a really good question and, and totally reality. Um, for a lot of for a lot of people, myself included, and I think um it's it's really 
recognizing that busyness isn't like you know how in the diet industry we made fat bad then we made sugar bad then we made it to me it's not about making busyness bad because I completely understand that to be busy is part of the modern day life and particularly as mums we don't have a choice not to like put a nappy on our child and breastfeed them and you know and look after them and make sure they're safe and make sure they've got food we don't have a lot of choice in those things but my invitation would be to really start to work with um like what you're doing in your week and how much of that is really aligned with what has to absolutely be done and what doesn't and and what is a story that we've been taught or that we're doing it for love and validation or that we're doing it out of a sense of um fear or lack, right? And when you can start to mindfully, I use like mapping, right? Mindfully map your week and realize what percentage of those chores or tasks or busyness is really based on a story that may not necessarily be true and may be based on a whole range of stories that as mums we've been taught, like I'm responsible for everyone's well-being and I'm responsible for um, absolutely everyone's emotions, like their stories, and they're not necessarily true. And so when we can start to, I guess, cut away some of the, um, the things that we're doing that we know maybe if we stepped away there might be a little bit more space, based on really our sense of worth and values, then what I find is that we can start creating um, more space for our own nurturing, which therefore helps other people. But we also start to create an energetic sense of feeling empowered because those stories like I have to do all of these things and everyone's relying on me and um, I have to do all of this stuff in my business and I have to change the world and I have to use cloth nappy. Like they're all these things. Are they necessarily true? Mm. And where are they coming from? Are Are they coming from a place of not valuing yourself just as you are? I talk about this in my first book. I use the example of the of the woman that's a stay-at-home mum or on maternity leave or at that point where she's not doing as much outside of the home as she used to. And you often find these women saying yes to things, say at school or at childcare, like, you know, putting their hands up for lots of extra volunteering because inside them they think, oh, well, what I'm doing isn't important, so I should be doing more. Mm. I should prove that I'm busy. I should prove that what I'm doing is worthy. And it comes from this place within us that the story is I'm not doing enough right now because it circles back to that core teaching that so many of us carry in our DNA. This is a generational thing that we're not worthy enough just as a woman, as a mother, as a partner, as a space holder. We have to be doing more and more and more. Yeah, I love that, Amy. And I think, you know, when you talked about your first book, so when I had my first um, child, it was really such a confronting time because all those emotions I talked about came came up, right, and all this empty space to think about things. And your book was given to me and so I followed your work since then and I read it and 
I was stuck in this habit, you know, with your firstborn, you're like, you're so busy, but you're looking back, you're kind of like overdoing it a little, like you're overdoing it with the newborn. <laughs> so I found that <laughs> with my second <laughs> And so you're like, I'm so fucking busy. But like, you, but looking back, that was a story, you know, mm-hmm. that was a story that children are hard, that babies mean sacrifice, that um, babies don't bring abundance. I can't be wealthy and a mother, you know, all of these stories that we're taught that motherhood brings up. And I remember every time before my husband would get home, I would frantically tidy the whole house, right? Like, what is that? And I couldn't and make dinner. And it was like this patriarchal like embedded thing in me that I couldn't break out of, even though I knew that it was causing stress and that he had no expectation of that being the case. Mm. And so I think there's invitations when we find ourselves particularly in resentment because resentment is the number one like red flag for like something is not aligned here. You're either completely empty or your balance of how much you're doing things based on your values and how much you're doing something based on someone else's expectation is out. And resentment is like it's a beautiful teacher um, to be able to say, well, hang on, what is going on here? And what's really that belief that I've embodied? And is it, is it true? And I love what you said about revaluing motherhood, because I think in the coming into the four walls of your house and finding purpose in the scrubbing of the toilet and the um, bathing of those kids and the cleaning of the high chair, if you can value that and find purpose in that, it goes a long way to relieving that urge to be busy and that learned response to a series of emotions and thoughts, which is all busyness is. Oh, you speak about it so beautifully. I totally agree. And as someone who now has 11 and a half year old and is really on the cusp of such enormous emotions and changes, I cannot tell you, all the mamas listening with really little ones, what you're doing with those really early years of planting seeds of compassion and that you're there for them and love no matter what, the way it starts to come back again as they get older, I I just see it so clearly now that in those early, early years, it is so profoundly important that you value sitting down and reading with them, you know, being there with them. Yes, I was never a good mum with the Play-Doh or the Lego. It drove me nuts and I'd be bored after 15 minutes. So I'm not saying that would need to be perfect, but it's that valuing that I am her mother and she is going to have to learn a lot about this world. And if I can be the safe place that she keeps coming back to over and over and over again, then that is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And I just think we lose sight of that in the in the triggers that early motherhood brings because we are so triggered that what did you do today? Oh I kind of sat on the couch and fed my baby. You know, that isn't valued. It's just, what did you do today? You know, what does it look like on Instagram? How busy were you? Oh, it's not important. It's just so not important. 
I love that. And, and it's very soothing to my soul as, as someone in that right now, Amy, but I completely agree. And I love what you said about, I was never the mum that played Play-Doh, right? I love working with mums, particularly on finding their unique mama magic and really leaning into this idea that you don't have to be everything, that you need to be yourself. And the more that you can lean into being yourself, you're teaching them self-worth, you're teaching them purpose, you're teaching them what pleasure looks like. And so there's three or four things that I know I'm fantastic as a mother at, and that's singing and that's doing magic with my kids and like, you know, herbs and magic and teaching them about, you know, sacred stuff and Mm. there's cooking and there's taking them on adventures. I'm not the mum who can sit there and play babies with my daughter for 16,000 hours. Mm. And so it's that combination of can I meet her there sometimes but not when I'm resenting it because she picks up on that. Like she's in, she's very intuitive. So if I'm there, if I'm in resentment and I can't meet her there, how can we energetically shift that? So it's like, okay, mommy, you'll sit here and play Lego with you, but I'm going to listen to a podcast or let's go out on an adventure and therefore both our needs are being met. It doesn't have to be this sacrificial thing. And when we learn to really hold worth for ourselves but also when we learn that as women we have this unique and beautiful capacity to hold energetic space in the family home then you realize that you are not responsible for everyone and everyone else's emotions it means that when your toddler has a tantrum you don't internalize that as something you've done wrong you can hold space for her while she expresses that but unless you can do that for yourself there is no possible way you can meet her there. Does that make sense? Oh, perfect sense. Absolutely. So motherhood after what you went through overseas and then getting sick, motherhood coming along and now your second baby, Mm. what has that taught you and opened you up to? Mm. So first baby was very much birthing the emotional part of me. So all those repressed emotions that I talked about came up and I had to, you know, the best advice I ever got, Amy, before I became a mum was um, get a really good therapist and get a really good high chair or something, like get a really good pramps or no, baby carrier. That's right. Get a really good baby carrier, get a really good therapist. (laughs) And I think that was so wise because having to confront all the stories you have about that word mother is a really rich and important thing to do. I think in order for you to show up consciously for your children without projecting your wounds onto them. And so with my first child, highly sensitive, highly emotional child, she brought me to my knees, didn't sleep, right? Brought me to my knees and I couldn't hide from the repressed anger, from the repressed um, fear, from all of that worth tied up in my productivity. I couldn't hide from any of it. And so that was such a cathartic period of learning to mother her and really learning to parent myself. And now the second baby coming along, another girl, um, and it's really moved my attention and focus to this more energetic plane, right? So it's like, the breakdown, I did the physical mental healing and then I did the emotional healing. And now I'm like, how can I 
do less in inverted commas, but influence more. And this is where the power is because the more we can learn to empower ourselves really deeply on that energetic um, level and be anchored, you know, to the Mother Earth and to be living our truth outside those stories we've been programmed. Our influence is far greater than we've ever thought that it could be. And so I could be in the home and I can influence the energy of everyone in that house without doing anything, right? Just based on how I am in my body. And that's where I'm working now, Amy. And it's really, and like when I say I'm working there, Many, many times I go back to being frustrated, resentful mum, and that's totally human and fine, you know. But, um, yeah, that's that's where I'm at now. And this second baby, she's like, you know, you, they're, they're the best teachers you'll ever have. She is um, very, um, very extroverted, whereas my first was very introverted. And so collectively they're inviting me to own more parts of myself and then, you know, taking that into my work with other women as well. Wow, what a beautiful way to reflect on it. Mm. Oh, Meg, thank you so much. The way you speak about it is divine and I agree with everything you've said. I think it's truly, as you've said a number of times, an invitation for us to look at our stories and our core beliefs, our identities. And as you said, the story that you have about what it means to be a mother, what is it look like? What what should your house look like? What do you believe about it? What does that mean for your career, your sex life, your body, your health? All of these sometimes unconscious stories we carry with us are being asked to look at right now. They're being asked to be examined right now. It's so, it's such a powerful thing to be in the middle of. I'm so grateful for the way you spoke about it today. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Amy. And yeah, just to just to finish as a message to your beautiful listeners, um, just on that, you know, I spent 10 years and more being obsessed with finding my purpose, you know, and finding um, how to influence the world around me. And nothing has been nearly as profound as as the journey to motherhood and really doing the inner work on yourself is game-changing, is world-changing. And if you can find purpose in all the things you do rather than looking for your purpose, that is what is going to change the world. If we as women can be empowered, if we as mothers can be empowered and we raise empowered children, that is what is going to change the world. And so there is no thing in the world more important than what your listeners are going through right now. And that you and I and many other women supporting them definitely see that and honour that as well. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you so much, Meg. You're so welcome. Wasn't that amazing, mamas? I loved how Meg kept using the word invitation because that's what this is. It's an invitation to pause, to slow down for a moment, to look within and question what that story might be that's causing you to try so hard. As Meg says, when I say almost every week, motherhood is the perfect opportunity for us to ask ourselves these questions, to get clear on why we're doing what we're doing and if this really is who we want to be. 
in short, to redefine ourselves. Next week, please keep an eye on my social media and in my newsletter if you're a member because I will be sharing in there when I'm going to be starting my program, the 40-day practice to redefine your life that hundreds of mamas have now taken when it's about to start again. So please, if you're interested in being a part of this, keep an eye out for that. And also you can check out all of Meg's work at beyondbeingwell.com and all of the details for her are in the show notes. As always, thank you for sharing this with me. Until next week, Satnam. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.